There was a podcast called the Sequel Cast. They talked about movies. And they talked about something else called boobies. The Sequel Cast. It's the Sequel Cast. It's the Sequel Cast. www.sequelcast.com. Hello and welcome to SequelCast, a podcast where we review movies in a franchise one movie at a time. You can visit our website at SequelCast.com. I am your host, Uncle Milkshake. We are currently starting a new cycle of movies, starting with the original film, Reanimator, first in the Reanimator trilogy. I am your host, Uncle Milkshake, as I just said, and with me is Thrasher. Howdy. Dr. Hans Gruber. Dr. Hans Gruber. Uh, you've come back from the dead. You reanimated, one might say. All the way from Switzerland. And uh, Reanimator is loosely based on a H.P. Lovecraft short story called Herbert West Reanimator. I would say loosely based. It hits all the important story beats. It's just moved into a modern setting. And there's all the setup, and there's some more characters in the movie than in the original. I think but... we'll definitely talk about the original, because... Will is right that it hits on the same kind of ideas, especially with the end. If anybody's read the actual book by H.P. Lovecraft, if you read the story, I should say, it was uh, serialized in four parts, Will? Uh, yes, four parts, if I, if I recall correctly. It does have the thing about the contemporary dying in the war. And that really is the only thing that isn't in this, is that there, we don't see World War One, which was being written about at the time. Well, actually, admittedly, a, a war does get mentioned, as I recall, in the second film, but we'll save that for the second film. But the doctor losing his head isn't the same as how the other doctor lost their head. We, we should explain. Towards the end of the film, Herbert West kills Dr. Hill and reanimates his head. You gave the ending. Oh. Well, we're going to have to give it away at some point. But, but in the story, in the story, there's a German military officer whose head is kept alive and who, who effectively is the Hill character. Yeah. So we're able to get this headless man who can control the dead. And, he, and like in this movie, he uses a fake head to pretend like he has a real head. Which... Yes, there's a, a marvelous sequence where he takes an anatomical representation of a head from his desk, puts it on his headless body, and then puts, you know, a surgical mask and all this stuff on it, and, and has this corpse with a dummy head walking around the hospital. It's, it's, it's quite hilarious, and that's one of the nice things about this movie, is that it keeps swinging back and forth between horror and comedy. It, it's one of the few films that remembers that the responses of horror and the responses of comedy all come from the same source. Well, it has a feeling very much like Evil Dead. It's the same kind of like shock and blood and gore, and it has like a few camera shots that are very much, but it doesn't have that in-your-face explodingness, I guess, of Evil Dead. I mean, well, certainly not Evil Dead, too. It does have exploding, I'll give you that. But I think the production value is maybe a little higher. Well, they, I thought the I, only time this movie looked cheap is in some of the sets in the hospital. Well, how so? I, I just think it looked a little bit barren, but I mean, I thought throughout the direction and the lighting, and in particular, I really enjoyed the music by Richard Band added... Well, the music, movie. the music isn't entirely by Richard Band. If, if you'll note, the, the theme music, the music that plays throughout the beginning, which underscores a couple of scenes...
it's actually a rearrangement of Bernard Herrmann's music from Psycho. Yeah, that it does sense. have that feeling. That makes sense. <laughs> which, which is really interesting because Bernard Herrmann really had this very strong belief that, that if you compose music for a film, that music is part of the film and you should never remove it from the film. You know, he, he never wanted anything he wrote for a film to be reused, but of course it's reused in Reanimator. And, and, and regardless of what Herrmann believed, I believe it is reused to wonderful effect. Look, I did some research, and it says there's two different cuts of Reanimator. Are those yeah. easily available? Or it mentions a theatrical and then an unrated one, which is shorter. Well, actually, that's not the case. It's actually the other way around. When the film was put together, they were actually able to get it released unrated. And you know, they but of course, you know, when the cable and home video markets, when the cable market opened, you know, they needed a version they could show on cable. And so they actually had to go back to the ratings board and get them to like rescind the rating. And there's an alternate cut, which is the R-rated cut. And that one is longer, but that's because while they took out the sex and some of the gore. They had to fill out that time with something, so they put in a lot of cut scenes. It ended up putting in more cut scenes than what they took out. Uh, and as a result, a ditched subplot is actually reinserted into the R-rated version. Now, is the version on DVD the R-rated version, or are they both on the DVD? Because I saw like... It's, it's the unrated version. I believe you can get the R-rated version. It's not like the deluxe Millennium Edition. Uh, you have to kind of dig around. I think there's an, it's part of an older DVD release. Will, do you think it's something that people should actually look for? Is it good, comparatively? Well, it's still overall, it's it's decent. I guess that I prefer, you know, I prefer the, the unrated cut one because it's unrated. And I, I really see no reason why you should tone down a movie to get an R rating. And two, the unrated version is tighter. It is it is more cohesive. The, the R-rated version does get a little bit bloated, a little bit lopsided because of the extra material that has to be inserted to fill in the gaps. Mm. Speaking of ratings and such, do you think this movie, do you think the nudity is gratuitous? Well, not on the corpse. None of the corpses, certainly, because... And I, I have to applaud this movie for having such a realistic depiction of human corpses. Oh, I know. Lives. Like, the blood pooling on their backs? Oh, yeah. Right? And the color just uh, really was good. Um, wasn't there something about the special effects artist actually using real morgue pictures? Yeah, they, they had they had taken tours of morgues and had photographed real, you know, uh, real corpses that had talked to the morticians about you know corpses and their jobs. And that's where and that's actually where some of the uh, corpses came from, like the guy who got run over by the truck or or the botched surgery corpse. Like, they were in a corpse, and there was a guy who died in surgery, and the corpse still had all the tubes and catheters and, 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 and needles in him. Uh, oh, that's too great an image. We have to put that in the movie. And that's why there's that botched surgery zombie that has uh, surgical tubing uh, running in and out of his body. But So so it's certainly not gratuitous on the corpse. I mean, they, they, they would, you know, but for the purposes of autopsies, be naked. Now, as far as the, the nudity, I'm assuming when you say nudity, you're talking about Barbara Campton, who played the daughter yes. of the dean. Uh, I mean, you're talking about nudity. I don't think so. I mean, I think it's very appropriate. It's very appropriate in in the sex scene, which which admittedly, I think most movies probably would have like cut to after the sex. But I'm glad that 
I'm glad that this movie acknowledges that they have a vibrant physical relationship uh, between her and uh, between Megan Halsey character and the Dean, uh, the Daniel Kane character. And then later, you know, when she's when when the headless Dr. Hill is attacking her, I think that's appropriate because it's revealed that the Dr. Hill is sexually obsessed with her, has in fact been stalking her, stealing mementos from her. And you know a person that deranged, once you have that the target of the obsession isolated and at his mercy, he is going to press his advantage. We have, of course, the legendary head-giving head scene. And basically, it seems like the reanimator fluid imparts some kind of immortality. Well, we, we can't really say because everybody who gets injected uh, gets chopped up or blown up or beaten to death. <laughs> True, but it, se- it just seems, I don't know, because, yeah, you're right, we haven't seen anybody live long, but we see a character who is able to live with the brain separated from the body. One thing I noticed in this movie is a lot of it is about the, at least in the beginning, is about the fear of getting caught. So, for instance, you have... Herbert West moves in with this other med student because he's about to start yeah. at Miskatonic, and then something happens. He starts operating on the cat, but he's trying to not get caught doing that. And then the uh, girlfriend always walks in and sees what's happening, and then something similar happens. Well, I think a lot of it has to do with if you look at the original story of Frankenstein, he himself also didn't want to get caught because he was using body parts. He was doing something that his colleagues thought impossible. Frankly, if you had a, an experiment, you wouldn't want other people taking credit for it. So, of course, you're going to work in secret. At the same time, you're doing horrible things with corpses, and sometimes those corpses are quite violent. I don't know. What, what are the laws on body snatching these days? Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, well, everybody. Please you take do body across state lines. I guess it's a felony. Herbert West is a—he's a genius, but he's also a bit of a prideful genius. I think he keeps a lot of what he does secret from most of the characters, except Kane. Not because you know he's worried about oh people will find out they'll try to stop me. So much as mo- this film really does chronicle his mistakes. Yes, he's able to bring life back to dead tissues and, 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 and deceased bodies, but it's never a real functioning life. I mean, this movie, in essence, chronicles all of his mistakes. It's just like one failed or partially successful experiment after another. Well, and I, I think he doesn't want people to know that he hasn't perfected his formula. He's kind of waiting till he has that perfect reagent, as he calls the solution, and then he's gonna, you know, release his amazing discovery to the world. But until then, it's all done. It's all done secretly. That's also because this movie does bring up the idea of brain death. That's actually one of the things that um, both Dr. Carl Hill and Herbert West fight about. Is the idea, and this is actually something that still is in science, and people don't know exactly what happens after you die. But then, how long the body can live on while the brain is dead? How long can you basically be a vegetable? Is there a way to reactivate the brain? Are there ways to prolong life such as cryogenics? And then the idea of once you've got a meat sickle, how do you turn it back into a human? Yeah, you- I mean, uh, admittedly, this movie doesn't necessarily go in the direction of cryogenics, but that is something that keeps coming up. You know, how long does the brain stay viable after what would commonly be known as death? And so there, there is some great just just like some suppressed rage banter between West and Hill about about exactly when the brain dies. 
Well, it's also because he does accuse Hill of stealing from uh, contemporary Dr. Hans Gruber from uh, the Zurich University, where Herbert West studied underneath Gruber. And the way that Jeffrey Coombs plays Herbert West and the way he speaks is so mannered and such a different style of acting from uh, other people in the film that I think it really helps him stand out. He's very analytical. I really do like him as an actor, and I think this role... He did ab- so perfectly. Well, he, he, he's perfectly creepy. He plays this perfect, somewhat mad genius. <laughs> I guess that's the one thing is I'm never quite prepared to call Herbert West insane, just a bit, ex- just a bit extreme in his methods, you know, that he's willing to steal bodies and so on. His motives are still, you know, very altruistic. It's not like, I must prove to the world my genius. No, he literally wants to help people. He wants to do, as he says, he wants to accomplish every doctor's dream, to conquer death. But I don't think he'd do well during his clinic hours. I don't think he really loves life. I don't think he's towards life. He he cares about death too much. Well, he's lost, him, in a certain sense, he's lost himself to his research. Mm. You know, the, everything everything must take a back seat to his, his drive to conquer death. Uncle Milkshake, why do you think he brings on Dan? You know, Dan, I think, is a really bland character. Dan Kane being the uh, medical student that... Um, played by Bruce Abbott. Played by Bruce Abbott. He's the same one. He was I, in... Um, no, he was in uh, The Prophecy too. Will. Dan is very bland, but he wants someone to help him maybe in case something goes wrong. Herbert West isn't the strongest physical guy around. Maybe he thought if a... Uh, revived corpse would be too strong for him. Maybe he'd have another person to help restrain him or put See, him See, I tie down a corpse. Why doesn't anybody tie down the corpse first? Well, admittedly, early on, they're, they're not, they don't really expect the corpses to hop to life. They j- are just looking for some muscle and reflex responses. Although, I, I will say, I, th- I think the reason Dan is brought in is that, that Dan finds out about West research almost by accident when he stumbles upon, you know, uh, when he stumbles upon a Herbert West experimenting on, on his cat. Oh, and, I, and in the case of Herbert West, I guess Herbert is like, well, the secret's out now. I, I got to tell him everything. But in and, truth, and I, everybody he brings into the secret, their lives are completely fucked up. Well, he, he, he we'll infects them with his obsession. We'll see, we'll see that with all the other sequels as well. He seems to survive, but it brings like ah, oh, he brings absolute horror and devastation to other people's lives with his creations. Least of all, because we don't see actually what really happens in the end. And but yeah, the cat Rufus is completely ah, oh, that was just creepy as ah. Uh, well, it's creepy and yet it's hilarious. Like you, you come downstairs and like Herbert West running around with this. This, like, insane black cat strapped to his back and was making these horrible <laughs> noises. And they chase it around the room with baseball bats and pipes and beat it to death. <laughs> then puts it on the table. Then, he has to exp- then Wes has to explain to Kane about what's going on. Uh, and, and, you know, Kane's got his, oh, no, the cat was just stunned. You probably drugged it. And then, like, you know, he, like, s- splats the cat corpse. Do you believe it's dead now? Splat! Do you believe it's dead now? Also, Herbert West has an excuse as to why the cat is dead. He's like, well, it's got it, it got its head stuck in a trash can and its neck snapped. It's the most implausible excuse. Uh, no, I don't believe it was a trash can. I believe it was like a jar of food. Well, and it's suffocated. Regardless, it's still very... But he of... puts it in the freezer. Yeah. 
Well, you gotta preserve. You gotta keep the tissue fresh for experimentation. It's no good having a corpse that's mostly decomposed. Okay, speaking of freezers, the one freezer where they keep all the corpses, the it just seems like the sets they built weren't. They they didn't feel like true morgues. Well, I don't think that was a freezer. Uh, I think that was just a morgue room. It would have been kept chilled, but you know, I. I... What's the freezer? Look at the look at the door. And that that hard that um the way that the the lock on it has to lock and the rubber around it to keep whatever, or definitely to preserve it, not to freeze them, freeze them, but yeah, to keep them cool. Oh, I got, I got to say, one thing about that door, there's a security guard that watches the, the morgue it's, uh, by the name of Mace, played by Gary Black. Awful acting. I, no, I don't mind the acting. <laughs> he acts like the world's worst security guard. <laughs> it's like, you know, he'll, he'll walk off, he'll read, you know, be reading porno on the job, you know, like, the one time he really, like, takes an active role, it's to, like, when, when the zombies are going crazy, when the reanimated corpses are going crazy, like, I'll go get the police, and then he runs off. It's like, it's, I gotta wonder, like, he's so casual about just letting people in and out of the morgue with, like, the, the, with maybe, like, the slightest bribe, I'm wondering... It's one of the characters a necrophiliac, and he's just used to letting necrophiliacs go into the morgue. I think he's uh, used to working the uh, graveyard shift in the hospital. I mean, I, I know someone that works a, a graveyard shift doing security, and he just sits at his terminal next to his computer and surfs the internet all night and makes like over 30000 a year. It's fairly ridiculous. But I think when you're used to nothing happening on the job, when something actually happens... You're so accustomed to being lazy that you don't want to get up and do anything. <laughs> and keep in mind, this uh, security guard in this film does not die. That's true. He's he's fairly uh, he's he's a survivor of that one. That's weird. The only black man in the movie. Well, no, except for one of the corpses. You would have something happen where the security guard would get killed. That's very strange. That well, doesn't. You know, I guess we can thank this movie for in that way being progressive. It only has one significant uh, African-American character, but he doesn't get killed off, whereas opposed to far too many slasher movies, the black guy's going to die, and he'll probably be the second victim. And yeah. it's just one of those, I I'm tired of going into horror movies and just being, oh, he's not going to make it. I, I like that in this movie, he survives. Let's talk about the nude scene. Right, yeah, no, I was getting to that. Dr. Uh, Hill is the villain of the of the piece, and he is a professor that is really jealous of Dr. Herbert West's knowledge, and he really is into Dan's Megan. girlfriend, who happens to be the daughter of the dean of the college. Yes. Yeah, she actually kind of does an, a decent acting job, and she's not hard, she's not bad to look at either. All she does is scream and take off her clothes and cry, and I mean, it's no, she's the emotional center of the film. But do we care enough about her and Dan's relationship? I do. Uh, I I do. Only case it's they 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 have the only normal relationship in the film. I really mm. don't like Dan and the performance that Bruce Abbott has for Dan in this film. A little I think, stiff. I think it's very bland, very stiff. In some mm -hmm. ways, it works because you have some over-the-top performances from Jeffrey Coombs and David Gale. Mm. In in contrast. How creepy and just it's it reminds me a lot of Christopher Lee. Exactly. He's very mannered, very Maybe it's because he's tall. He has a <laughs> he's tall, has kind of a weird face. And did you know that David Gale died of open heart surgery? No. Yeah. In uh ninety one. Oh, that's sad. 
But as a result of being in Reanimator, he got to be uh, villains in such movies as The Giver. I'm sure there's oh, examples. Oh, God. Yeah, that's... <laughs> that has a sequel. We can talk about that. We, we could. And, and how the marketing for The Giver had Mark Hamill on the poster to make it appear as he was The Giver, but he wasn't. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, now here's actually okay. Speaking of funny things happening with corpses, I you love can. when West kills Hill because uh, Hill's gonna take all the credit for the reagent. When he West decapitates him with a shovel. That is a brutal way to do it. Yep. That is a good scene, and then at the same time he brings him back instead of like. Because <laughs> he's got a fresh corpse there. Instead yeah, and of just fresh parts. Body. He's never done whole parts. Ugh. And also remember some of the real uh, science experiments that were done in, I think, Russia or Germany around World uh, War II. Dogs. With, with the dog, right. Where you, they cut right. off a dog's head and were able to zap it with electricity and get some sort of movement for a limited time. They were also able to attach a puppy's head to an adult dog's head and it still actually be alive and grow. It, uh, what, what's your source on that? Because I've never heard of that. That actually was a true experiment. I, I'll send you the link, but it, it has... It was a Russian doctor who came to Europe to show how awesome Russian science was. And it was applauded in Russia, and everybody else was horrified. Although, granted, when they put the puppy head on the adult dog body, it didn't last for that long, but... Do they have to put one of those those like uh, cones on its neck so it wouldn't bite its own stitches? Oh God! <laughs> uh, Doesn't that make it a little bit better just to imagine that comical cone with a tiny yeah, puppy head sticking? Well, we have he reanimates the head apart from the body, which yet the head has control over the body, right? Well, yeah. they, they, that is explained though because they have to. They they have to because of course in in the story the the headless German officer kind of just almost miraculously has a, a certain level of telepathic control over the reanimated dead and in this movie they felt they needed a real explanation so one of the traits they give Dr. Carl Hill Dr. Carl Hill is that not only is he a skilled hypnotist he's done a tremendous amount of research in neurology and has been trying to isolate exactly in what part of the brain the human will resides. And it's that knowledge that allows him to to control the reanimated dead, including his own headless body. Right, because well, he, he has a procedure with a laser where he can control the wills of reanimated corpses, I guess. Well, yes, he, he it's a laser laser lobotomy uh, allows yeah. him to remove what little resistance they have to his uh, domination. And that's also how he gets Megan, because Halsey is technically a corpse by now, who a walking corpse. Yeah, I guess we ought to explain the the dean. We, you know, we really ought to explain what exactly happens in this movie. We've been talking yeah, about it without this problem. So. Back and forth, but yeah, everything's kind of disjointed. Okay, well, here, here, here's the deal. We, we get an opening scene in a uh, hospital in, in Europe where, you know, we see police barge in a room and there's Herbert West over uh, a flailing corpse. It's kind of tearing itself apart, its eyes exploding. And that's how we're introduced to the character of Herbert West. And so they go, my God, you killed him! No, I gave him I life. Gave him life. 
Uh, and that's what brings us into the into the film with this marvelous opening credit sequence using old anatomical charts set, of course, again, to Herman's music from Psycho. And then we're brought into Miskatonic University. And I must applaud this film for keeping the setting of Miskatonic University in Arkham, Massachusetts. Whereas, you know, a lesser adaptation of Reanimator would probably arbitrarily move it to Boston or some larger city that people would know, as opposed to the fictional city of Lovecraft's uh, writing. We have, you know, West is introduced to the other principal characters. We meet uh, Dr. Carl Hill, the premier surgeon. We meet Dean Halsey. We meet his daughter, Megan Halsey. Herbert West then moves in with Daniel Kane, medical student. He needs a, he needs a roommate. Herbert West kind of gets his own room, takes over the basement. And we, of course, have Mr. Kane and his girlfriend, you know, while making love are interrupted by their cat, Rufus, which is, of course, the cat that West you know, that, that West reanimates on later when it dies. There's a tremendous amount of, of academic rivalry between West and Hill because Dr. Gruber, who West, who turns out to have been that, that reanimated corpse in the opening scene, you know, Dr. Gruber believed that the brain could live for uh, more than seven minutes after death, whereas like opposed to Dr. Hill thinks it's nonsense. I really like that they say, like, oh, seven minutes, exactly, just seven minutes. The seven, seven minute barrier. Well, you got you got to round it up to make it sound official. Seven point two four minutes doesn't sound. That sounds sloppy. Uh, you have to round it to a whole number, and seven's an important number. It's a prime number. And so there's a tremendous amount of academic rivalry about that. And West, and you know, West just makes it clear he despises Doctor Hill. It thinks thinks he's closed minded. Thinks he's a philistine. There's a great scene where Doctor Hill is is you know removing the brain from a cadaver, and the whole time he's giving his lecture. Every time he says something that West disagrees with, West breaks his pencil and reaches in and pulls out a fresh pencil. So he's got like all, he apparently is carrying all of these pencils with him just to interrupt Dr. Hill. It's just this amazing petty thing that I wish I had done uh, in college whenever a blowhard professor was rambling on about something that I thoroughly disagreed with. And Jeffrey Holmes doesn't say anything. He has no line, but he has this look on his face. Just, just marks him as a great actor. It's this part, this perfect face for academic rage. <laughs> As we said, there's the scene with the cat, and that's what brings Daniel Kane into sort of Herbert West's world of experimental reanimation. And so they agree to team up. They, the two of them sneak into the morgue, once again bypassing the crack security. Uh, they sneak into the morgue. He puts Herbert West under a sheet like he's a corpse and, you know, telling him, oh, he was... Uh, he was hit by a truck, really messy. No one look under the sheet. It's disgusting. So, of course, no one checks. They go into the morgue. At this time, Will... He's been kicked out of school. Oh yes, that's that's right. He's been barred uh, because of his uh, his behavior and his pissing off yeah. of Doctor Hill. <laughs> but also because Megan sees the cat, and Megan's father finds out about them experimenting at all. So both him oh. and Dan are on the shit list. Except for what gets kicked out, also because of Hill. So they go into the morgue, and there's a bunch of corpses, and, and so and all they're they're not looking for reanimation. They're just looking, you know, for some sort of physical reflex response. The tissues are becoming more active. And in the course of this, of course, one of the one of the corpses completely comes back to life, and it's this huge guy. And you know that huge guy? At, that was Arnold Schwarzenegger's body double at the time. Oh, cool. Yeah, that guy. That that huge. That's a muscle corpse. Well, he looked healthy. I don't know. <laughs> Lots of meat to work with. Well, and of course, at that point, you know, the Dean shows up, and so the corpse starts attacking Weston Hill. Uh, well, sorry, Weston Kane. Weston Kane, private eyes. Then the Dean shows up, you know, sees, and, and Dean get, the Dean gets pulled into the tussle, and then the Dean Halsey ends up getting killed. Uh, and then West realizes, wait, we need a fresh corpse. 
This guy's only been dead for a couple of seconds. The freshest corpse we could possibly have. They inject uh, Dean Halsey's corpse with the reagent, and he does come to life, but of course, it's as a ravening, gibbering, undead monstrosity. When the rest of the Miskatonic staff sees this, they, they assume something is, has gone horribly, horribly wrong, which of course it has. Why do you think that he comes back so raving? Do you think it's because of the effect of, of death? Do you think it was possibly the way he was killed? Well, it's, it's entirely possible he may have suffered some brain damage when he died. Uh, interestingly enough, though, the the third Reanimator film, Beyond Reanimator, does attempt or does answer the question of why, with, with the exception of Doctor Hill, all the corpses come back as ravening monsters. But I'll, we'll save that for our discussion, but they do have an explanation that really motivates events in that film. From there, you know, Dean Halsey, the reanimated corpse, is put under Dr. Hill's care. And this is something I never quite got about Dr. Hill. Dr. Hill has this wonderful office with one of those like one-way viewing mirrors, but it looks in on the padded cell where the reanimated Dean Halsey is being kept. What was he using that room for? For observation. Well, yeah, but I don't know. Like, I... I uh, my, my father was a psychiatrist. My grandfather was a psychoanalyst. There's a lot of those kinds of doctors in my family. I don't know a single one that would have a padded cell adjacent to their office. It's the because beauty. he's lazy. Oh, yeah, I get Okay, I'll buy that he's crazy. It's just so weird because could you imagine, like, you're talking to someone in your cause office and then your, your insane corpse starts banging its head against the glass? Oh, don't mind that. That's just the corpse. Well, and speaking of which, there's a sequence that's almost identical to that in the uh, wonderful film Resident Evil uh, 3. What was that one called? The Search for More Money. Um, no, it's the one that's a ripoff of Mad Max. Extinction. Well, anyway, from, from there, the film starts spiraling out of control. Dr. Hill pays a visit to Herbert West and sees that he's got... Uh, and sees that you know that he has conquered the seven minute barrier brain death and that he he has uh he has affected successful reanimation so carl hill decides he's going to make west subservient to him and take all the credit for this discovery once the formula is perfected so he does his you know winky blinky hypnosis on on west but then gets so distracted looking at a a slide of reanimated tissue west clobbers him with the shovel and then uses that shovel to just gruesomely snap his head clean off of his body and that it's was a wonderfully scene. punishing scene great scene and from there and from there we have him you know he, he decides oh hell I've never done parts so he injects the body in the head with reagent and after some time it's, it's unclear exactly how much they come back to life and that's where we get the headless Dr. Hill who becomes such a threat and of course now that he's he's dead he's lost all vestiges of sanity so he breaks out of West he, he waylays West breaks out of West basement and decides he's going to conquer the oh and steals some reagent and decides he's going to conquer the world so he goes back to the university and sets about re, uh, lobotomizing corpses reanimating them mind controlling them and of course prepares to kidnap Megan Halsey who it turns out he's been sexually obsessed with. He actually has a file with like newspaper clippings about her, a lock of her hair. It's all very disturbing. Very and true. that all, of course, comes to a head in the infamous head-giving-head scene. He's managed to kidnap Megan, has her tied to a medical table, you know, rips her clothes off. His severed head starts to attempt to perform cunnilingus upon her prone and supple youthful body. While being carried by his beheaded body, which yeah, I thought yeah. was great. There is one scene, I swear I can see the neck, 
it isn't so cleverly masked. Most of the severed head shots are accomplished through just shooting with the angle just so, or of course with the actor's head up through a hole in the table and that, that dish. One thing that does keep coming back, every so often a packet of blood is poured into the dish that the head is contained in. Everyone seems to have extra blood lying around. It's Herbert a hospital. West has extra blood. Yeah. His office has extra blood. Sure. Okay, it's a horror movie. I'll, I'll let, let that slide. Well, think about it. All the blood that's donated, and you'll like this, Thrasher, because I know that you donate blood because you're a good American. Yeah, most of that blood, a lot of that blood gets wasted. But at the same time, a lot of it also goes to scientific experiments that don't come out with anything. Your, your lack of faith in science is, truly does you credit. But I'm just saying that all the blood that is donated, I, mean, I don't know what the percentages is, I'm not a doctor, but only a certain percentage of that actually goes to people who need it for themselves. Well, of, some of it is turned into medications, Dr. Gruber. And some like, of it is taken just for the plasma. Or taken just for plasma, plasma the, uh, the platelets for hemophiliacs. Let's, well, let's run through the, the synopsis then. So anyway, finally, Kane and Wes show up to, well, Kane to save his girlfriend, Wes, to get his precious formula and notes back. It's another showdown in the morgue. It turns out that Hill has reanimated every corpse in the morgue, so every corpse that has been shown on screen or talked about springs to life and starts to attack West and Kane. And so we get to see the bot surgery corpse and the corpse of the guy who was hit with the shotgun, the corpse of the guy who was burned to death, just these hideous, hideous bodies. And there's a wonderful tussle, and West decides to see what happens when a reanimated corpse overdoses on reagent and just starts injecting it into Hill's body. And that's where we have you know, the, the climax. The zombies are thrashing around. The Dean Halsey corpse kind of starts to slip from Dr. Hill's control and tries to protect his own daughter. In the end, sadly, as they're escaping from the morgue, Megan Halsey dies. And West, of course, we find out in the sequels this isn't his death, but of course it looks like it is. The headless corpse that's gotten the overdose, it slumps against the wall, its chest explodes, and a length of intestine entangles West and pulls it into the corpse. It's a great scene. Although I must say this, the length of intestine it's clearly a large intestine, but the large intestine's only about three, four feet long. This thing yeah. has to be 12 feet long at least. Either it's not an anatomically correct intestinal tentacle, or the reagent causes you to grow extra intestines. Maybe that's why they go crazy, the pain of extra intestines. So he's sucked into the corpse, presumably to die. You know, the, the security guard runs off to call the police. Kane escapes with Megan Halsey, takes her up to... Oh, and this is something very important. Kane's character is introduced as he's trying to revive a dying woman and he's doing the defibrillator paddles and you know he just kind of refuses to accept that she's dead. And I love this in films and in really all stories, this film ends as it begins. He carries Megan up to the emergency room and tries to revive her with the defibrillator paddles and the rest of the ER staff. And once again, you know, they can't revive her and he refuses to accept that she's dead. And then he realizes he has a single syringe loaded with reagent left over from his experience with West. And, you know, he, he kind of, he looks at it, like thinking about he's gonna, how he's going to use it. And this just leads to a great scene. He, he angles the syringe like he's going to inject it into her, but then the screen fades to black. Except the, the reagent is represented with this glowing green fluid. It's just the stuff that was in glow sticks at the time, which back then was highly, highly toxic. Well, all you see is that glowing green from the syringe. And then you see that glowing green diminish as it's being injected. The, the music from the beginning, that, that starts to build up. 
there's a pause where it's all black, and then we hear this terrible woman's scream. That is the last thing we hear in this movie before the credits roll. It's a great ending. The thing I like about that ending, it's 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 one of those, the horror isn't really over endings, but it doesn't rely on a hand shooting up out of a grave. Mm-hmm. This actually makes sense. Well, and also it's very vague as to what that, like I haven't seen the sequels yet, so it's vague as what that screaming could be. It, yeah, is, it, is maybe it, did another nurse walk in and see what he's doing? Yeah, was it a nurse screaming? Was it was it Megan? Right. Or does Kane have a really girly scream? Oh god. Or does Herbert West have a really girly scream? It never shows. Oh, yeah. there. It, He's not. it doesn't show Herbert West dying, but just that he gets choked by the intestine. Mm. And as he gets pulled well he gets he gets strangled by the intestine and pulled into the corpse. So it's implied that I guess the corpse rib cage eats him. Yeah, I mean overall I really enjoyed the film. It was a bit more scary than I expected and I wonder if the sequels would be sort of like with the Evil Dead movies where it gets less scary and more funny as it goes on uh, uh, well I'll save my, my detailed analysis for when we do the movies but I will say Br- Bride of Reanimator more silly than scary Beyond Reanimator yeah that was a creepy creepy I'm gonna I'll talk we'll talk about that when we get to it but Beyond is pretty damn creepy hmm yeah, I, I, I adore this movie. I mean, it really, for years, this was the best adaptation of an H.P. Lovecraft work to the screen. And, and it really remained the best adaptation until the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society did its Call of Cthulhu movie. And now, I actually, I had not, I had seen this movie in passing and never knew what the heck it was because I saw it on TV, edited it, so I didn't know there was nudity and all that stuff. I believe it was you, Thrasher, that showed it to me in full the first time when we were at college. I think I may very well have. You know what? It, it may have even been like dirt, like right. Because oh, you know what it was. Doctor Gruber and I have a very, very strong connection to the Cthulhu mythos. We're, we're both tremendous Lovecraft fans. I, I myself now have published work in the Cthulhu mythos. But we were doing a Cthulhu Live event, the the Return of Cyrus Crane, and we had. To, oh, I'm sorry. No, it wasn't the Return of Cyrus Crane. It was Shadows in the Langley House, and we had to build this tentacled monster. So we were in uh, Dr. Gruber's uh, dorm room, making this tentacled monster, painting the sheets, making the tentacles, and it was the premiere of Beyond Reanimator, and we watched it and loved it, and then afterwards watched the original Reanimator. Hmm. That's right. It's a great night. That's weird to watch it in reverse. I think if anybody should watch them, watch them in order, just so oh, that they kind of make sense. Yeah. And if you like H.P. Uh, Lovecraft stuff, may although I have not been to this, every... I think this time around it's going to be October okay, October 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, 2010 in Portland, Oregon. There is an H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival and Cthulhu-thon. Oh, Cthulhu-con, cool. I'm sorry. And they don't have a schedule of what's showing at this year's show. Well, probably still being developed. But, I mean, as an example of stuff they've shown before, they showed, like, the movie The Mist which is based on a Stephen King story, but inspired by Cthulhu. Something called Beyond the Dunwich Horror. Oh, speaking of Dunwich Horror, yes. I saw the sci-fi, I, I think it was a sci-fi made. They did the Dunwich Horror with Jeffrey Combs as um, as uh, Wilbur Watley. Mm-hmm. Terrible. Oh. They completely used him the wrong way. He didn't fit the idea that I have in my head of Wilbur Watley, and he also didn't seem to have any direction in the movie and he also tried to do kind of an accent that didn't work and his acting was very it was very pale compared to everything else I've seen him in it is made for a sci-fi channel although that's not always sometimes they got good stuff I don't know he was also in the movie uh, Necronomicon Book of the Dead hmm. playing 
H.P. Lovecraft. You're talking about Jeffrey Combs, right? Yes. Well, you know what? For those who haven't seen uh, too many of Je- the films Jeffrey Combs did with Charles Band, what else might people know him from? Star he Trek. actually had uh, in a recurring role in Star Trek Deep Space Nine. He was also Admiral Schran in Star Trek Enterprise. Jeffrey Combs has a cameo in the first Guyver film as a as a scientist who's only referred to as Doctor East. <laughs> And he plays it. He plays it like a drunk George Takai. <laughs> oh, and also here's another cool thing. He voiced the Scarecrow for the 1997 revamp of Batman, uh, the animated series. The um, uh, oh yes, the one Spielberg produced. Yes. Oh, that's true. Is that still on in '97? I thought it was up before. Oh, it no, was this in production. Is the, one, this is the Bruce Tim one in '97. Oh wait, the one that was bundled with Superman. I believe so. Yes. Oh, it was, you know the, what? it was the larger. It was the larger um, stockier scarecrow, not the one that was played by McD- Roddy McDowell. McDowell. Roddy McDowell, yes. Roddy thank McDowell. Well, you know, it, now didn't didn't Jeffrey Combs wasn't he the voice of the mystery on uh, Justice League America? The question. The question, yes. yes. And he, he has the perfect voice for a brooding conspiracy nut. Really, any brooding character. Yeah. Again, he he has a voice. I, I haven't heard it, but he does a uh, a reading of uh, the Raven, which I've heard is really good. You know, I believe he also does has a, a, a CD, which is a reading of Reanimator as well. Well, that makes that makes sense. So, in conclusion, would you recommend Reanimator? Absolutely. S- certainly, I, I recommend it for for horror fans, horror comedy fans. And also to Lovecraft fans, even, I suggest, though, uh, even though there is a certain amount of division in the Lovecraft fandom community over this film. I suggest everybody get a big syringe full of Reanimator. <laughs> Inject it straight into your eye. <laughs> oh, God. Will, did you uh, say there was a controversy about this film, or did that just that it's well-loved in the um, Lovecraft community? Well, I mean, I, I will... Well, what it is, is it's tricky. It's always tricky to adapt any of Lovecraft's works faithfully to the screen. And I, I do feel that this is a faithful adaptation, because it does keep... When it's horrific, it has the same horrific tone as the stories. It hits all the important story beats. The original story, I believe, took place around the 1920s, and of course... Oh, no, I'm sorry. No, the 1910, because of World War One. But of course, this film was the modern day. But Lovecraft, in his lifetime, was writing about the modern day. You know, he, he, he believed that a horror story should take place in a setting that the reader can imagine themselves to be in. And so that obviously has to be the present. So I think it was a very good idea to move this story into the present. Well, I, th- I think what, what kind of said it best, one of the reviewers on the website stomptokyo.com did a review of this film, and he really kind of summed it up. And of course, this review was written before the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society's Call of Cthulhu film. So he says, you know, this, this is the most faithful and accurate adaptation of a Lovecraft story ever made, and it's the one that Lovecraft himself would be the most aghast at seeing, simply because of the level of visible violence and, and, the, and the sexuality and, and whatnot. And I, think, I think that's, I think that's you know, what, what, you love what it really comes down to. A lot of people don't want to, because sex shows up so rarely in Lovecraft's work, and when it does show up, it's the worst kind of sex. If, uh, a lot of people just are, are totally don't want to see sex in a Lovecraft film. Oh, but you know what? This film, of course, this film did get a pretty big following when it was released. Uh, a following was big enough that a porno was made. A porno was made that was uh, a repenetrator. 
And it is supposedly one of the most... Uh, a friend, Adriana, in college, claimed to have seen this film, said it was the most disgusting uh, porno she'd ever seen. No, it was. We saw it... At, we, I saw it with Adriana. It's awful. Oh, you didn't tell me? I I thought that you already had seen it. That's a rumor. Shame on you. Fair. But yeah, Adriana... Oh, God. It was Adriana, Michelle... Was it Michelle and Frank as well? I remember there were a bunch of us there watching it. It was not... I... Uh... I'm going to travel back in time and go to that screening. <laughs> I really enjoyed uh, Reanimator. I was coming into it a bit hesitant, despite the fact I knew a lot of people like it, just because you go into 80s horror movies, and a lot of times it's a mixed bag. But it held up pretty well. I don't think it really dated itself too much, except in some of the hairstyles, maybe. It was a lot of fun, a bit more scary than I expected, but it would be a very fun movie to watch with a group of friends. Roger Ebert actually gave Reanimator a 3 out of 4 star review. We know a film critic Pauline Kael really enjoyed the film as well. There's a quote from Pauline Kael, I forget if she's talking about Reanimator, but she says, The movies are so rarely great art that if we can't appreciate great trash, there's little reason for us to go. We don't believe it also received a special critics award at the Cannes Film Festival as well. It might have. Um, yeah, the Ebert quote on it says the movie creates a livid, bloody, deadpan exercise in the theater of the undead. Well, I, will, I will say this just as another example of the subtler humor in this film. The 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 notice that West finds about Kane needing a roommate. It actually has Dan Kane's address. And the address of the apartment, or the house they share in this film, is 666 Darkmoor. It's only on screen for just for a brief moment, but I was so tickled when I first noticed that detail. There's also a scene in here when uh, West decapitates the doctor with the shovel. He lays it in a metal pan, in a bedpan almost, and the head isn't staying up. So he gets a spike that he had notes stuck on, tosses the notes away, and impales it's a letter spike on the letter spike keep it from moving around. I, I guess he kept that in there because the head stands up pretty well when he's not being carried, so we can only assume he, the, Dr. Hill's head saw the utility of, of that spike and left it in there. Is there a scene that stays out for you? You know, Herbert West, as smart as he is, does have a bit of a, you know, does does have a bit of a wit, and I just, I love that scene where he, where, where, where his response when he walks in on the head of Dr. Hill trying to orally rape uh, Megan Halsey you know, his response is, you know, here I find you trysting with a bubble-headed co-ed. And then, you know, it goes off on that whole rant, no one's going to believe a talking head, get a job at a sideshow. It's just such a great line. I love that, you know, even in this circumstance, he still believes he's better and smarter than Dr. Hill and is willing to mock the man. I can't tell this if undead West, horror, I love that. I can't tell if West hates women or if he's just uninterested in them. Well, I think he's uninterested because it's, it's again, everything in his life takes a backseat to his research. I really do like the beheading scene. Also, the reanimation of Hill's head. I have to agree about the, the, the bedpan. I think that's so clever. And just the way that he acts like he's waking up in horribleness. I just thought that was really, really well done. Good acting. Good head acting. <laughs> that man knows how to get ahead in business. So if you want to find out more about the SequelCast, visit our website at SequelCast.com or check out the Twitter at Twitter.com slash SequelCast, or you can check us out on iTunes and leave a review, which no one has done yet. And if you want to send fan mail, send us fan mail or hate mail at SequelCast at gmail.com. 
And I guess, oh, and then I guess uh, next episode we will be doing the sequel, Bride of Reanimator. Bride of Reanimator. Bride of Reanimator. Okay. Talk to you later, fellas. Bye. <laughs> Bye.